Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the Small Brain Podcast. Today we are doing an Ask Me Anything, where I've opened the floodgates of the patrons to uh, ask me anything, and now I'm going to f***ing answer all your questions. So uh, if you guys would like to be part of the next Ask Me Anything, consider joining the Patreon. It's $3 a month. Here we go. First question, what was the scariest part of the trip? I feel like the answer is not going to surprise you. It was the uh, human trafficking risk in Hanoi, Vietnam. I think it was Hanoi, somewhere in North Vietnam, where... A strange man tried to drag me into a hotel room. I was an innocent young tourist looking for a cheap room. I like to, to check it out before I buy the room. And uh, he just fully pulled me in there. I guess he thought I was along for the ride to, to suck his little c**k. So, yeah, I was actually kind of confused. I, I knew how it looked. You know what I mean? I was really trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But when he pulled out the wad of cash and then pointed to his mouth and his d- and showed the money, I knew exactly what he wanted. So, um, one thing I was a little confused about was why, because I asked someone to translate it for me. He said that the Vietnamese guy was like offering to suck my cock. So if that were the case, I don't know why he would pull out the money and show it to me. Like maybe I was going to pay for it or something. I don't know. The boldness on that man to just pull a a foreigner into a room that doesn't even speak the language is insane. I must've been giving him homosexual blowjob in a hot hotel room in North Vietnam vibes. I don't really know how he got off doing that. Um, but I feel like I would like the authorities to apprehend him because, um, that's some really sketchy shit. I think looking back, it's like funny, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, I have distance from it, but at the time it was, uh, very scary. I, you know, the next hotel I went to, I didn't know what to expect. Like, I had to get a fucking, I have like a special lock that goes on the door. Um, and I was actually really nervous that someone was going to barge in in the middle of the night and like take advantage of me. Um, because yeah, I don't know, something like that, like it might sound weird when I'm explaining it to you because it hasn't happened to you, but it, it'll really like shake you. Um, I don't want to be all dramatic, but you know, to your core, like it'll, it, it fucks with you knowing that like someone can just grab you and pull you in a hotel room and like gang up on you and do whatever they want with you because um i feel like i was really close to that happening in vietnam even though he was like a small dude and i didn't feel like i was being attacked like i think they just got the wrong impression from me but um just knowing that that's on the table now it uh, it does fuck with you mentally for sure all right next comment steph says i love solo travel but haven't done it outside of the u.s yet as a woman i couldn't help while watching think to myself wow there is no way I could get away with this. Sorry, my reading skills are other fifth grader, especially in India. Is there any truth to that statement? And if so, which of the countries that you travel to would be safest as a solo female traveler? I'm thinking Japan, but curious to hear your thoughts. Um, so if you can't tell, I'm not a woman. Um, no offense, Steph, but I, I just don't necessarily feel qualified to answer this question. What I will say is... Um, <clears throat> I met a lot of solo female travelers, even in India. Um, So I don't know. I'm not really one to give out tips like this. I'm not necessarily like I'm not encouraging people to follow in my footsteps because look what happened in Vietnam. You know what I'm saying? But um, I don't know. I would just ask a woman. Maybe we'll ask Sarah. Maybe I'll get Sarah here in a minute. Well, what do you know? We have a woman right here. It's Sarah. (laughs) Testing. I will say that Connor's gone a few places that I don't know I would feel comfortable going by myself. Can't speak to India specifically because I've never been there. Um, I have girlfriends who have gone, though, with their boyfriends and husbands. Um, 
I'd say the majority didn't have a great time. Um, one did. There was one person who like staunchly defended it when I brought it up. Um, so you know, she had a great experience. But I also think that safety is relative. Um, so what like I feel like is too risky or not risky enough for me might be fine for somebody else. But yeah, I think the considerations are different when you're a woman. Like um, I had a great time in Turkey, but I felt better with Connor there. Um, and there's other countries that I've gone to where. I had the best time alone. Japan, yeah, super safe, but, you know, nowhere is perfect. Um, yeah, well, I mean, they, sometimes women get groped on the train there. Yeah, so but... So I would just avoid, like, crowds and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, like anywhere else, too, I think there's petty crime no matter where you go, so watch your pockets and stuff like that. But, yeah, female-specific stuff, I think there's a lot of countries that have way better, like, gender um equality and safety and stuff like that iceland is one of them that's always the first place that i tell my girlfriends to go if they've not um traveled alone outside the united states iceland is awesome iceland japan um a lot of western europe um is it's kind of like the states and safety but yeah yeah but at the same time like you get robbed in france all the time yeah but we we can get robbed here too though yeah yeah, in dc yeah but uh, america's not safe i wouldn't say it's like yeah, me neither. Place. <laughs> me neither. You know. Yeah. My answer is Iceland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I like just being in hostels and stuff, like overhearing stories of girls traveling, like, oh, yeah, in India. Yeah. They're like, you know, like, especially there's like some festival in India. It's like all these girls get assaulted on that day. Like, I Shit. think women are like definitely targets. In, and when I was in Delhi, like. Remember I sent you those pictures on the back of the tuk-tuk? It's like, the driver of this tuk-tuk respects women. Because oh, there's like yeah. some big problem with the driver like assaulting women. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. I'll say for ladies that are traveling alone, like tuk-tuks, taxi drivers, when you're in restaurants by yourself. Like I have been in like several dodgy situations in those environments. Like be super careful with taxi drivers and tuk-tuk drivers no matter what country you're in. Like yeah. there was one time, was that Bangkok? With that creepy yeah. guy? Yeah, the taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had a lot of experiences that were, like, scary by myself, but I had one experience where Connor was in the car, and this guy, like, wanted to buy me from him. So, yeah. like, even when you're traveling with your husband or boyfriend, just make sure both of you are aware. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe just really some of the places in the Middle East I wouldn't feel comfortable going by myself. Mm-hmm. But everywhere else, I think, fair game. That's your that's our resident woman, our expert woman. <laughs> She's been a woman her whole life. I'm going to head back to the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Steph also said, you smoked a lot of different stuff with people in these countries. Which one gave you the best high? LOL. So Steph's trying to get high. Shame on you, Steph. The best high. I mean, to be fair, I feel like I was just ripping cigs in most of these countries. Uh, In Myanmar, I was doing the betel nut, which I guess does not fall into the category of Steph's question. But it was... um, Amazing. The beetle nut was very nice. If it was in the U.S., I would definitely be tempted because I'm sure some Silicon Valley fuckboy would have made it into like a way that doesn't stain your teeth. Because um, that was really the main drawback. Like people's teeth that do the beetle nut are completely fucked. Oh, okay, so my teeth will be red. Yeah. Like yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are some ugly looking motherfuckers. Like it literally rots the teeth right out of your skull. But it, honestly, it felt really nice. Me and Dan and What's-His-Face were getting nice and toasty on the beetle nut in Myanmar. Um, it's almost like a cocaine slash tobacco slash caffeine buzz. It's like um, very 
it makes you like really clear headed, but also like fucked up and euphoric. It's very nice. Other than that, though, I guess the other only I guess the only other thing I smoked was the uh, tobacco pipe in Vietnam, which was nice. But honestly, it, it made me like too dizzy. It was like and I did a tiny, tiny little minuscule amount and it was still like a bit much for my taste. I guess I was on a moving train. But um, it just didn't feel like it was like a controllable dose because, you know, you're ripping a whole fucking chamber of whatever this is, like concentrated tobacco. Um, so I wouldn't say it made me feel high. It was honestly more scary than anything. But I feel like nothing really compares to a indoor cigarette in a crowded izakaya in Japan. Nothing compares to the cigs inside. Absolutely nothing touches that high. You'll be soaring, baby. You'll be soaring. Um, someone's a Shreshef? Shreshef? Sorry. Mr. S says, what was your original job that you left to travel? Did it, that have any influence on you deciding to go across the world? Well, actually, I have another podcast. I think it's called Moving to Japan with No Japanese. That actually, that was the first gig I ever got abroad and allowed me to take my dumb ass overseas um professionally i guess you could call it i was teaching in like a really terrible english school it's called nova i would not recommend you teach there they do not care about their employees they work you overtime they expect a lot of you especially if you have japanese bosses like you are going to be in a world of hurt if you work for nova so don't do that but there are plenty of other opportunities to teach english in japan like uh interact is one the jet program if you're young enough uh, to do that. You have to learn a little Japanese for that, but I think, um, it's actually like a career in Japan. You can do it for like five years. So I got the Fiverr visa in Japan. I was teaching English and that kind of got me overseas, like in a long-term kind of position before that. I mean, the longest I had been overseas was in, uh, college. I was doing a uh, study abroad just in Italy and stuff, just kind of like fuckhead American tourists, like it wasn't like what I was doing, you know, on the last trip or in Japan or anything like that. But being abroad for a year, having a job, having coworkers, having friends, it really changes your perspective on a place instead of like just flying by the seat of your pants, going there for eight weeks, like spending all your fucking money. If you're there for a year, you have to buy groceries. You have to like pack a lunch. You have to go to work. You have to commute. It's it, It'll like definitely change your view of the place. Um, so, I mean, that was... I didn't necessarily save money when I was doing that, but that just gave me like a different perspective on how to travel and that, oh, you can go somewhere for a long time. You can live there. It's really not that hard. I mean, there are definitely drawbacks. You know, you're not with your family. You know, you miss your fucking grandma's birthdays and you don't know how much longer she's going to live. You know, I mean, it's kind of dark, but that's that's the truth. Um, you know, there are definitely drawbacks. Like it's tough setting up a life in another country, but if it's, if it's what you want to do, I mean, you'll just find a way, won't you? So... Um, that was what originally brought me overseas, and then I just got addicted. Honestly, I just couldn't stop. So what I would do is I went home, and now that I had this thing on my resume that I had taught English, taught is being used very loosely in that sentence, but now that I had like taught English, put it on my resume, got a job at a community college, got a job like tutoring Latinas that were trying to learn English for like their citizenship test, and um, just kind of went from there and just kind of was like a dirtbag English teacher for several years. And uh, I would live with my parents, which was a big advantage at the time. And 
just cake up there and then just like hit the road and then run out of money and just come back and do the same thing. So it wasn't like a very professionally rewarding time in my life. But I mean, recreationally, like what it was able to let me do was fantastic because now I have a full blown career. So, um, yeah, definitely no regrets with that. I mean, I just think like, I just don't know if I would recommend doing what I did because you do have to kind of suffer for a while, like in the trenches, um, at least building a career. But honestly, like if you're just going to move to Japan, if you're just going to move to Thailand or Vietnam or wherever you want to go and have an apartment and teach English, like honestly, I would definitely recommend that because it's an easy life. It's pretty cushy. It's not, I mean, I was, dude, I was making like 25 grand a year. Like I was making like two grand a month. Um, but that was enough in Japan, honestly, because I was living pretty humbly, um, for a single guy, right? Like, it's not like I have fucking mouths to feed. If you have a family, definitely probably don't want to do that. But I was, you know, going out to eat, drinking, just like living a pretty comfortable life, but not going crazy or anything. Um, and it did allow me to travel to like Thailand and like, um, all over Japan. Actually, I went to Okinawa and Hokkaido all the way in the North. And yeah, I just had like a, basically a free year long vacation. I, um, I did, I did the finances later and I fucking broke even. Like I didn't save any money, but didn't also end up in the red. So, I mean, it's honestly, if you just want like a nice long vacation in Japan, I think that's the move. Um, I can't necessarily speak to other countries. Like I know in, in South Korea, China, Vietnam, like those, those kind of richer Asian countries, not Vietnam, but, um, like definitely South Korea and China will, will pay you nicely. So, um, definitely something to look into. I know there's been like a long rant. And uh, let's go to the next question. All right, Weston Klutz says, what gave you the idea to do content creation and how did you go about it? Also, love the videos, man. Thank you, Weston Klutz. Thank you very much. Um, Honestly, I knew I wanted to do something like making online money for a while, ever since I lived in Japan. When I moved to Japan, I bought this book called Vagabonding by Ralph Potts. I'll link it down in the description, but it really changed my life. I don't want to sound so fucking dramatic, but it honestly changed my whole outlook on travel and how to interact with people, how to move slowly through the world, how to move purposefully, and how to just get more out of your experience while you're on earth. I know it sounds really lame, but it's true. It really changed the way I see things. And um, instead of me like going to Japan to work a job, I was there to experience the culture fully. And I think this book, Vagabonding, really focused my attention on that one goal. So while I was there, I realized I wanted to make a living um, traveling. Like I, you know, I didn't want to teach English for the rest of my life. I barely made it one year in Japan. I absolutely hated that job. Um, although I will say the career in general is a decent way to start traveling and getting out there and like exploring what you want to do. But I just knew teaching English was not for me long-term. And I wanted to like share my stories because I felt like, you know, I'd be in bars or izakayas telling people what I'd been up to. And there had always been like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, have you ever thought about writing a blog or something? And so I think that's where like my first initial thought of like how to do this long term emerged. Um, But then I realized like, you know, no one reads blogs. Like I don't read blogs. You know what I mean? I mean, I do think there is a business model there that exists and you can get rich making blogs. But I was just like, I just don't care. Like, I don't read blogs, so I don't want to make that. And then I was stuck at home during the pandemic and I started watching like really raw, honest travel vlogs where people were going to places that I had never seen before. I didn't even know you could go to these places. You know what I mean? People like uh, places like North Korea or Siberia. You know what I mean? Like places that I just 
it was not even in my realm of possibilities that I could do something like that. And I saw these people doing it. And I just felt this like sense of freedom that I had just never felt before, especially because I was locked inside. I think that dichotomy was just so strong. It just pulled me out of my shitty world of the pandemic and just brought me into this new realm of like, yeah, you can do this. Like you can, you can do this for a living. And then I set out driving across the country during uh, the pandemic. One day I just got so fed up. You know, I was just so scared for months. And one day I was just like, fuck it. I just, I, I just, I'm not going to care anymore. So I started driving across the country, met all kinds of characters. I've done a podcast about that before, but I could definitely do another one. There were so many characters and so many stories that I didn't catch any of it on film just because I didn't necessarily have the confidence or anything to start recording before then. You know, I had this like far away vision of like doing a blog or doing something social media related to make money. And actually at the time I um, was like, posting on Instagram a lot. I thought that was somehow going to make me money. I had no idea how, you know what I mean? But I knew it was an interesting story and I knew that it would compel some people to watch me move through the world on Instagram, even though like looking back, it is kind of fucking boring. And like the travel vlog is to me like the um, ideal way to show you what I'm actually doing because it's like, it's like you're there in the moment with me. So um, yeah, I think I've just really hit the nail on the head. And, and, you know, honestly, I, I felt that way ever since I was in like Iraq and Pakistan and India and Myanmar and stuff. And I feel like that was a time where I just felt like my craft was kind of coming to a head. And I was like really figuring it out how I wanted to do this thing. And, you know, I've been really fortunate that those videos actually took off. And it makes sense. Like I think, you know, back in the day when I was on Instagram and I was just like, DMing random influencers like, hey, will you feature me? And just like just like hustling, but not in a productive way. You know, I realized like I just wasn't any good and it made sense that I hadn't taken off yet. So um, I think now, like with all the success and everything, it, it just makes sense. You know what I mean? And I feel like I've, I've actually earned it this time and I'm not just getting a handout. So it feels really nice. And I know you didn't ask for all of that, but that's the answer you got, Weston Klutz. So thanks for the answer. So thanks for the question. Mark says, what are the necessities you bring on your trips? I'm sure the list has narrowed over the years and maybe you can help others prepare. Yeah, so Mark, I um, only pack, honestly, like the heaviest, most expensive stuff I bring is my technology. I bring my laptop, my camera, my chargers, adapters, um, this microphone. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all that's in my tech bag. I also bring a journal. And I think, you know, podcasting is nice and the videos are nice to kind of commemorate my experiences. But Nothing really ever gets as personal as a journal. So I carry like a tiny little journal that I can just pack in, honestly, even my pocket just to kind of, you know, write some memoirs and stuff and uh, pass the time on trains when you don't have service and stuff like that. And um, I just think it's really nice to look back on those journal entries, you know, years down the road and just see exactly how you're feeling at the time, you know, so definitely recommend a journal. I'm pretty bare bones when it comes to packing. I just pack like one pair of shoes. They're um, all birds that I find are really lightweight and like decent on most terrains. I would not hike in them, but they're like, they're good enough to get the job done if I really need to, you know what I'm saying? And if they get wet, you just throw them in the dryer. Also, I have um, UFOs. I should probably link some of these down in the description because I feel like you guys actually might want this shit. The UFOs are amazing because they're just like really lightweight. I can take them wherever. Wait, do I have them here? No, I don't have them in here. Um, they're really lightweight, you know, you can take them in the spa or like take them to the pool or honestly, I just walk around town with them. They're really light and comfortable. It's nice when you're flying because you can just slip them off and not worry about TSA bullshit. 
Um, also on the plane, instead of like kicking off your smelly shoes, you can just like slide off your little sandals. And it's just really, honestly, that's my go-to, uh, travel shoe. Um, and then anything like more substantive, like if I'm planning on getting wet or, you know, doing a lot of walking, I'll, I'll just wear the Allbirds. But that's pretty much it. I just wear the two forms of shoes. And if I really need to like go on a nice hike or something, I guess I'll just like rent a pair of boots if that's possible. Um, but yeah, pretty, I try to keep it really bare bones. One other thing, I just bring a, a bathing suit because you never know when you're going to have a nice body of water to jump into or a hot tub or something like that. So um, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, as someone mentioned before, I should probably bring like a bigger med pack of like, actually, that's one thing I forgot, the first aid kit, like especially on the motorcycle, I was carrying band-aids, iodine, um, little alcohol swabs, just like simple first aid. So if you really get in a pinch that you're not going to fucking bleed out on the curb. And uh, diarrhea pills. Definitely bring the diarrhea pills if you're going to be hitting up South Asia. All right. Chris says, I'm going to Japan in two months. Never been, but with no Japanese language. What are your recommendations for getting the most out of bar hopping and drunken eating? I guess I read a lot about some places not wanting foreigners, but would like to create the alcoholics guide to Japan vibe. Good question, Chris. Good question. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Honestly, I think if you learn five words in Japanese, you will change people's life. You will you will just rock their world with your deep and wide knowledge of the Japanese language. Because as you've seen in my videos, it does not take much to wow people. You can just be like, konnichiwa, you know, that's good morning. Uh, konbanwa, that's good evening. Or ohayou gozaimasu, which is good morning. So that's three right there. You'll fucking blow people's minds with those three. How about uh, sumimasen? Anytime you're like in a restaurant, you want someone's attention or anytime you bump someone on the train, you say that. Or if you really want to wow them, you say gomen nasai, which means I'm sorry. So that's even more respectful. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, oh my God, I've, just, I've been such a bad Japanese boy. I, I, I didn't need to apologize from the bottom, the depths of my soul. You know what I mean? It, if you're, if you really fucked up, you say gomen nasai and uh, what's that? Four things. Um, this, this one will get them, uh, which means see you later, right? You're, you'll fucking wow people with that. Also just basics on like ordering beers and stuff. I think will take you really far. And honestly, man, like you might be impressed with my level of Japanese, which you shouldn't be, but th- literally all I've learned is, is, is basic greetings, like cheeky little compliments to people and ordering stuff. And that's pretty much it. If you can order stuff, you'll survive and you'll be just fine in Japan. You're going to have a great time. All right. Chris Patrick says, what country did you enjoy most? No BS answer. Only name one. Okay. Japan. Easy. Japan. is It's my favorite country on the planet. And I know a lot of people, that's like a polarizing topic is your favorite country. But I think just, um, I don't think there's any objective best country. I think there's just, a, there are countries that have, you have interacted with them at a, the right time in your life and they've just hit you in the exact right way and that's been japan you know when i lived there i felt like japan was a nurturing mother that took care of me it was very safe you know what i mean there's no crime i can just move about very freely on not a lot of money and um yeah i just had an amazing time in japan and then i went back a couple times and each time it's just been getting honestly better and better because you know, I went with Sarah, I showed her around. That was an amazing time. Yeah, I just think Japan has something to offer for everybody. It's safe, it's clean, things work. People are really nice, the food's amazing. It's a little pricey, you know what I'm saying? But with the, with the value of the yen right now, it's a nice time to go. Um, and dude, just the food, man. Just, just, just having that selection of amazing food at your fingertips, no matter where you are in the country. 
and just having the nice people around to enjoy it with. It's just, you just can't beat Japan. If you could go back through your entire trip, was there one moment you wish you could experience again? Also, was there anything you experienced that was scary or shocking that was never caught on camera? Yeah, so as far as the experience again, I would definitely do Glastonbury again. I would sneak into that bitch and do it exactly how I did it. I um, was staying at like a B&B kind of nearby, and uh, I left some of my stuff there because I was driving on a motorcycle and had a bunch of shit, so I just wanted to leave it in someone's garage. So I essentially paid this woman for a B&B for like three nights and left my shit in her like spare garage or whatever. And anyways, as I was leaving to go to the festival, I told her what my plan was. And she was like, oh, well, you're probably going to die because people die at Glastonbury all the time. And uh, so I need you to sign this piece of paper that says I'm not responsible for any of your stuff or repatriating your remains or whatever it is. So she made me sign like I think it was like a little napkin or some bullshit just to like make her not legally responsible. But that really tripped me out. Um, (laughs) So I think going into it, I was like pretty nervous um also where the fuck does she get off thinking i'm gonna die just by going to a music festival i don't know old people are fucking strange but yeah i was i went there like pretty much on a shoestring like i I had bought all this stuff like camping gear and water for five days and like wine and stuff to drink and um i had no plan b key to success in life kids don't have a plan B <laughs> because if you do, you'll just fall back on that and you'll live in mediocrity, but you could live in glory. You could sneak in to the UK's biggest music festival if you don't have a plan B. So there you go, kids. That's my PSA for today. But yeah, that, that was a fucking send. I um, was very nervous entering and I just feel like the high of being like thinking I wasn't going to get in and then in just an instant, I'm in, you know, I had bought, I mean, or basically stolen, like a $500 ticket to this festival, met a bunch of friends, you know what I mean? When you go places uh, solo, you can just, you're just way more open to the experience, you can meet a bunch of people, and yeah, I just had an amazing time in Glastonbury, and I just don't feel like it would ever be the same if I had just like bought a ticket and done it the regular easy way, I had to really earn it, Um, and especially where I was in my life, like I just, um, I don't know, I just... Like, as a creator, I don't feel like I was making, like, amazing content. And that video just really stood out to me. Like, I, I can rewatch it and I'm still like, that's a great piece of work. Because I just feel like I really changed up my editing style on that one. Uh, I tried to... Because, I mean, it's a music festival. What am I going to do? Wake up and be like, hey, today we're going to get fucked up and listen to music. Haha, ha, here we go. Like, I don't need to narrate that. You know what I mean? So I kind of explored, like letting the actions speak for themselves, letting the setting, the scene, the characters speak for themselves instead of me trying to mediate it to the audience, which I feel like kind of cheapens the experience. So I feel like I really learned a lot about making a good video with that one. So um, yeah, I would definitely do Glastonbury again. Okay, wow, I'm I'm a very long-winded boy. We've only answered like three questions. Um, Next he says, or they say, um, what's their name? Was there anything you experienced that was scary or shocking that was never caught on camera? Yeah, I would say um, not necessarily scary. I mean, it was a little scary at the time, just more so annoying. But I met a guy in Patna, India, after I got off that like hellish train ride who said he was from Colombia and like, oh, I'm from Bosnia, Colombia, which is not even a fucking place. That gave me the creeps a little bit. And then um, he like showed me to this hotel that night. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, you're a great help. And then the next day I wake up to a fucking phone call 
in my hotel room and I'm like, okay, well, no one has any reason to contact me. Checkout isn't for another two hours. Get fucked. And I just basically like picked up the phone and hung, hung it up, whatever. Call me an asshole. I just don't want to be bothered first thing in the morning when I know that I don't have anything. I don't have anyone to answer to. So, and then like five minutes later, the phone rings again. I do the same thing. I hang it up. And then I get a knock at my door and it's the guy that led me to the hotel last night and I'm still in my fucking pajamas. I had just woken up and he's like, hey bro, it's me, remember? Can I come in? And I was like, absolutely not, you cannot come in. What are you doing? I can't believe the, the fucking receptionist guy gave you my room number, first of all. Like I guess, yeah, you did know where I was staying and then that's kind of a betrayal of trust to just show up at my door the next morning. The door guy and you. Like, have you no respect for privacy? And that was when I was like, man, Indians are kind of fucking pushy, aren't they, man? Like, this guy, like, went past the door guy and uh, decided to, he he had the audacity to ask to come in my room first thing in the morning. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Are you insane? Like, are you going to kill me right now? Like, that was really disturbing. I'm not going to lie. I, I know I'm probably making a mountain out of a molehill, but just I just felt disturbed and kind of... Um, violated i was like i can't believe that the door guy would just fucking narc on me like that and you're just gonna come in and expect me to be like yeah good buddy come on inside let's have a chat like he was like can i come in i was like no you can't come in like what do you want and i mean in his defense he was he didn't want to show me around the city and stuff which is cool but like just text me bro you don't need to fucking like that was really weird um another situation i've already talked about on the podcast but when i was in the way song with our with our old buddy dan uh, it was like three o'clock in the morning. I was in a little beach bungalow. So like there's no great insulation from inside to outside. It's like you can hear and almost see outside from the bungalow. So it was like three o'clock in the morning and this fucking Jeep rolls by loud. Like a whole convoy of Jeeps roll by. Next morning I asked the uh, hotel staff like, oh, what was that? And he's like, oh yeah, that was the military government. They were um, patrolling the streets, making sure no one was breaking the military curfew. I guess preventing an uprising or something, but yeah, the dude told me that they had taken people in the middle of the night. Like some people were breaking curfew and they just took them. They just disappeared them like fucking uh, CCP does up there in China, which was insane. I was like, oh, dude, Jesus Christ. Like I'm here for a nice little vacation, a little fucking fun little YouTube channel and people are getting taken. I was like, dude, this is not worth it. And at the time I couldn't go into detail in the videos, I couldn't explain the backdrop of the political environment because if you talk about it, they take you. So, you know, me, Myanmar was a tough one because the content was fire. Like I had some great adventures, but the trade-offs, I just don't think it's worth it to go back. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. If anyone could get me back into Myanmar legally, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I would really like to go back um, if I can prevent being taken in the middle of the night. That's a essential part of the deal. Connor, hi. Will you take Pepto-Bismol, anti-diarrhea tablets, Tylenol, and anti-parasite tablets with you next time if you go back to India, Pakistan, and Middle Eastern countries? Yes. Yes, I will. I mean, I've said it in the Myanmar videos. I think at the time I had a parasite that I didn't know was a parasite, so I was just pre-gaming every bus ride and train ride with diarrhea pills because I knew it was coming. It was just inevitability in that part of the world, so I was like, well... I mean, if I have to hold it for 12 hours, like, I guess we'll just take these fucking pills. I don't know what I did long term to myself digestionally. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 I kind of don't want to mention that to my doctor next time I go back because I feel like it's going to be bad news. Uh, but anyways, we won't think about that. All right. N3X says, what got you into traveling the world and how did you get started? I feel like I just touched on that 
in the the Japanese one where I just ranted for like 10 minutes. Um, but basically, actually, to go back even further, I had like a internship when I was like 20 um, with a lawyer, actually. <laughs> I thought I wanted to be a lawyer for a long time. And I moved out uh, to his place in Washington State and lived with him for like a month. And I had my own truck. I had a job. You know, I had weekends off. Um, and I just had a lot of freedom. So I was like doing a lot of solo traveling, doing solo hiking. I actually went to another music festival like way back in the day. This is 10 years ago now. Crazy to think about. But um, yeah, I think that was my first actual solo travel trip where I really just explored the freedom that it allows you. You know, if you have time, you have your health, you have a little bit of pocket change, you can do some amazing shit. It doesn't take that much money to do it like I've been doing it for the last 10 years. I mean, I actually looked at my finances. I'm actually surprised no one has asked this question yet, but a lot of people were asking about like finances and stuff and how much I spent. And I did the budget and I spent around $23,000 for 12 months on the road. So that's a little under two grand a month, which um, is probably, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but month by month, like you could take that and do two months. You could save $4,000 and go two months. But keep in mind, a lot of that is because I was traveling to so many countries and I was getting expensive visas in Asia. And I also had a motorcycle that I had to pay insurance for. I had to register. I had to buy it. You know what I mean? I had to take a big loss when I sold it in Bulgaria. So if you cut out those expenses, I would venture to say I was spending around 1500 to like 1300 a month, which per day is like 40 to $50, which I feel like most people can do. Like at your job, if you make even like... I think it's like, wait, let me do the math. So if you make $100 a day at your job, you're making $25,000 a year, which in the US is not very much. So if you can make $100 a day at your job and save half of it for six months, you can basically do what I did, you know what I'm saying? But if you make 200 a day, it's even easier, you know what I mean? And like, just go up from there. So I think, yes, I know I'm, I'm in a position of privilege, especially because I lived at my parents' house and I was able to save money. And this is why, like, I don't even fuck with the whole, oh, I recommend you do it because I can do it. And look, anyone can do it. I, I, I don't want to make content like that. I used to do that on TikTok and it just, <laughs> people will just come after you. So I can just tell you what I did. So that's what I did. Um, and I think, honestly, if you stuck to countries like Southeast Asia, South America, Africa, um, the Balkans, Central Asia, you know what I mean? You can live very cheap uh, for probably 20 to $30 a day. So that's like 600. Actually, when I was in India and Myanmar, I spent around $850 a month. That was two months in a row. I think I spent $850 in a month, which is crazy. That's like almost nothing. So um, yeah, I think if you can swing that, you can do it. So there you go. That's my little motivational speech. And I will never bring that up again. So this person says, uh, Teodoro, sorry, Mr. Garcia says, in your opinion, what was the place you felt the most scammed or likely to get scammed? Do I even need to tell you, Teodoro? Do I even need to explain? It was India. It was definitely India. Um, 1000%. I feel like I couldn't walk out of the door without being bothered by scammers and touts and people screaming and telling me to get in a tuk-tuk and following me and, um... India just is an assault on all of your senses. And I, I don't want to sound dramatic, but it's just honestly, that's how I felt after eight weeks. There is no place that I went to in India, okay? I'll, I'll give you the caveat that there could be places in the South and shit, but 
The places I went were an all-out assault on your senses. Even the countryside, when I went to that meditation retreat, like I'm meditating, sitting there, trying to focus on my breath, and I'm smelling burned plastic and dog shit and spit and human excrement, and it's just smog and... It's just uh, fucking A, man. It's it's a very intense place. And um, honestly, though, I think some people still love it. It has like a cult following. Like I think like 10% of gringos that go there absolutely love it. Um, but the rest of the 90% fucking hate it. So I don't know. I'm not sure what camp you'll be in, Teodoro. But um, for me, it was not it. Was not it. You know, and I've been to like Colombia and stuff. And I kind of understood like the hustle culture and stuff like that. But in India, it's just on a completely, completely another level. It's like you're going to war when you leave the house. And actually, in the India Sucks video, when I left the bus originally, that's why I like just was walking aimlessly because I'm like, I just don't even want to acknowledge these people. They're so annoying. I just woke up. I just need a fucking second, man. I just need a second. Can you please just give me a second? I felt like a hungover stepdad in some movie. You know what I mean? I was like, just shut the fuck up. Just, just, just don't make noise for five seconds and let me think. Well, so that guy followed me from the bus. Uh, I feel like I have numerous stalkers. So yeah, there's your, there's your answer. Madeline says, throughout your whole trip through various countries, what was your favorite interaction or sighting of an animal not commonly found in the U.S.? The monkey in Japan, fighting for my life against a band of ravenous monkeys. Oh fuck! Oh, he's coming over. Oh no 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 no! Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Patrick says, apologies in advance that this has been covered. Would love to know more about your origin story. Did you travel much as a kid, etc.? So one thing I will mention, I've talked about a lot of this in the, um, I think, moving to Japan with no Japanese story. I did what's called drum corps, uh, which is like a professional level marching band where you travel the country. You you're basically go on tour and do shows every night for, for paying audiences. And I did that between the ages of 18 and 21, 22. And so that kind of introduced me to like the fast paced travel life. And also there was another question I got. I'll go ahead and answer it. Uh, Diego Garcia says, I noticed in your comments that someone mentioned you were in DCI. Since DCI, that's drum corps, tends to be very physically and mentally challenging. Do you feel like it helps you with some of the harder parts of the journey? Much love. Thank you, Diego. To answer your question, yes, I do feel like it helped with the harder parts of the journey because drum corps or DCI is not a paid gig. It's like it's essentially volunteer or you have to pay to do it, which sounds crazy, but it's like the most elite level of this thing. And I just felt like at the time of my life, I really wanted to excel at something. So I did that. And, um, yeah, it, um, it definitely prepared me because I think, you know, doing drum corps, you have to rehearse between 12 and 14 hours a day for like a whole month. You're learning the show, you're practicing it, you're perfecting it. And then you take the show on the road. You go all around the country. I've been to almost 50 States because of drum corps, literally just a fucking little, traveling circus band that I did when I was 18. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really challenging and like no one gives a fuck outside of the little drum corps community. So I kind of learned how to like put passion in everything I do. Even if no one's watching, you actually have to give it your all and believe in yourself. And it sounds fucking lame, but it's true. Like, you know, being amazing at something, not getting a lot of recognition. Like, I feel like that was me on YouTube for years and I'm not trying to fucking toot my own horn or nothing, but I felt like I was developing a craft and I thought I was getting really good, but I was getting like 100, 200 views a video. But Drum Corps, you know, taught me like, just don't focus on the outcome. Like, it's just about, it's your own personal standard. And, you know, it's not like I was like small time in Drum Corps. I did Carolina Crown, so we got a silver medal at uh, World Championships. Should have been gold. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, even at the end of the season, it was a little disappointing getting, you know, second place. But um, just knowing that I did my best, that's all that really matters. So I do feel like that helped me with the YouTube journey. Also, just like the day-to-day grind of, of traveling. It's it's a seven-day, 24-hour-a-week uh, job traveling because, you know, you have to, number one, think of interesting videos, film them, upload them, find good Wi-Fi, be patient with the Wi-Fi, think of good captions, post it to Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, Twitter, fucking also you're looking up visas for the next country, you're doing uh, applications for that, you're sending money for that, you're, you gotta like call your mom back home, it's it's like a constant, you know, I have to be my own travel agent and I have to be my own everything on YouTube, so yeah, I'm just fucking complaining at this point, I mean, it's the best job in the world, but it is a ton of work, and drum corps just kind of gave me the tools to just like truck through it and like knowing that it's going to work out. And I think that's it. Let me check. Oh, Ado says, would you ever come to Lithuania? I suggest going in summertime. Yes, I would come to Lithuania. I mean, if there's cool shit to do there, if the people are friendly, that's pretty much 90% of, the, of a good video. So, yeah. Okay. Madeline also says, were there any moments during your trip that happened off camera that you wish were on camera? Honestly, you know, I keep talking about India, but the Delhi uh, night bus that I got on from, I think it was the one that I got off of in the India Sucks video where there was like a pile of trash at the bus station. It was, the bus station was literally a pile of trash. It was literally a dump. I wish I would have gotten that on film so I could actually show you like how jarring and disgusting India really is because that to me was like the pinnacle of gross India, but I, I was in a really big hurry to catch the bus. I thought I was going to miss it, um, you know, in classic small brain American fashion. So I did not film it, but I feel like that would be very illustrative of how horrible <laughs> India is. Like just a screenshot of that would would change so many people's minds about India if I haven't already done that yet with my constant bitching about it. <laughs> well, anyways, guys, that's all the questions. Again, if you want to join the next Ask Me Anything, join the Patreon. $3 a month. So. Bye-bye. See you next time.